Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Welcome, everyone, to a Baseball America podcast. Along with J.J. Cooper, I'm John Manuel. Thanks so much for downloading us. However you consume the Baseball America podcast, and we hope you consume it on the way to a Thanksgiving of uh, football and turkey and all that good stuff. Uh, Some of us are hitting the road uh, sooner than later, so we're recording the podcast on the morning on Tuesday. And I want to remind you that the 2012 Baseball America reference books are going to be available soon. We've finished one of them. The almanac is done. Uh, coming back with the proof stage, I got to add in my Japan uh, lead, JJ. And uh, so the 2012 almanac uh, off the press, prospect handbook soon to be completed. The directory, the draft almanac's already done. The super register, the bane of Matt Eddie's existence, will be done soon. So all the Baseball America books are available. You can uh, order them early, and make a great gift, and they're available at baseballamerica.com/store. And, uh, again, really the showcase book for that, J.J., is our prospect handbook. So we're going to talk National League Central top ten prospects. Obviously, they go to 30. But let's talk real quick uh, about it's, – it's award season. It's not it's not uh, wabbit season. It's not duck season. It's book season for us. It's award season for, for baseball. baseball in general. It is. And today uh, we'll have the National League MVP uh, award <laughs> Which announced. Which might get overshadowed today a little bit. Yeah, yeah, we have the today, also later today, uh, we'll probably record a podcast either tomorrow or first of next week on the big news of the day, which is the uh, CBA announcement uh, that will come up this afternoon. Very excited. Let's, let's quickly touch on that, JJ, just the fact that the NBA is in this, uh, what David Stern even called a nuclear winner. The NFL had a difficult lockout. Obviously, they came through that pretty well as a sport, but you did have – a lot of hoo-ha about OHGH testing, and then, oh, not really. It really doesn't seem like there was a lot of – did the NFL make steps forward in its uh, lockout? Did they come through the lockout in better shape, you think, than they did before? Probably the owners, I guess, did. And the the owners really did, didn't. I think. You know, the owners did, and I think – I don't think the players would say necessarily. And the Are the players any safer than they were before? Were there any safety things? Um yeah, they put in some rules on, like, concussions is a mandatory, you cannot return to the game before it was kind of, you know, doctor's discretion. And, hey, right. if the team doctor gets paid by the team, I think he's okay. He can. That's a stinger, <laughs> you know. But, uh, but yeah, yeah, so those kind of things. But If but you're a no. young player listening to this, just listen to that part. If you play hey, football hey. and baseball, if you, you know want to think in 20 years or you want to be alive past 50, play baseball. But um, but nothing like this this labor agreement in baseball where – you do it's amazing to say that they've seems like everyone's somewhat got it at this point that it's better for everyone to have a partnership of sorts than it is to have world war 72 it's amazing that the nba really is kind of where the baseball as a sport was in 1994 and that it has absolutely no trust between the two sides there are a lot of ways that it's different from 1994, I'm not trying to make a 100% analogy, but the thing that's very that, – that is directly analogous is the players completely don't trust the owners. They don't trust the owners' numbers. They don't trust the owners' motives. Anything well, the owners say, they can't be compromised when you don't even think the other, other side is 
being legitimate or upfront with you. And this is where I'll say that Major League Baseball's Players Association has one of their core stances. Whatever you think of a salary cap, you don't have to trust the owners nearly as much if you don't have a salary cap. You can dis- you may not believe their numbers. That's fine. Because what you're saying is is hey, I'm not fixed. It's I'm not baseball is not set where they get a, a fixed, fixed amount of revenue. revenue. Right? Yeah, good point. And if you have a fixed amount of revenue, then you have to have some trust of the other side. Of what those what that revenue is. Right. Yeah. And that's the wow. thing that baseball has avoided of all the sports. And again, you may be you know, I know we probably have listeners who think that a salary cap would make things better. At the same time, one of the things, one of the side effects that I don't think a whole lot of people think of is is that in baseball, the Players Association can say, you know what, whether we believe you're bringing in $3.5 billion or $2 billion or whatever that or number $7 is, billion. or $7, $7 billion, billion, which is what, it, yeah, whatever that number is, that is not as important to us because our structure is set up that if one team's willing to pay you, that's fine because there there's taxes and all. But if the Yankees want to pay a guy twenty five million, right? They can pay if they want to pay ten guys twenty five million. They can. They can, and uh, and it doesn't really. No one has to know how much money the Yankees are bringing in because as long as their checks don't bounce, basically, right? They can pay what they want to. And JJ, that's also been what has been true in the draft. It appears that the most significant change in the CBA for our listeners. Uh, we don't have the specifics of this yet, but it's going to be some kind of luxury tax, it sounds like, on the draft. My basic point on this, without knowing the details, and we don't want to talk too long about this, I think that Jim Callis and I will podcast on this uh, either later in the week or first or next week. But to me, every attempt that the owners have made to put a drag on salaries, has fa- on signing bonuses, has essentially failed. They, 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 you know, The draft worked for the first 20 years. Uh, you know, Ken Griffey Jr. got less money as a first overall pick in 1987 and than Rick Reichert got. number one pick. And everyone knew. Then Rick Reichert got as the top draft pick, not draft pick, but the top free agent in 1964. So that just tells you how well the draft worked for the first 20, 25 years of for existence. For the owners. But once the, yeah. Oh, yeah <laughs> not absolutely. for the players, but for the owners, yeah. But once the, uh, but once the uh, well, the money in the game was so much smaller, but still, it would have worked a lot once better Todd for the Van Poppel. But once, yeah, basically, once uh, agents got into it, uh, and Scott Boris Corporation, Scott Boris, first of all, by himself, <laughs> really changed things with guys like Tim Belcher and Kurt Stillwell and, and then Ben McDonald. Uh, you know, that's really what changed the draft. And since then, bonuses have skyrocketed, and it's been incremental imp- uh, increases and then sometimes bigger increases. And I think there's always a law of unintended consequences. Everything they try to do to keep bonuses down uh, the the uh, agents and the players and the clubs find loopholes because the clubs want players, period. They want players. They want talent. And so I, I still don't think it's going to have a giant chilling effect on baseball's uh, ability to acquire talent. Uh, but it, it might, in the first year or two, I think you will probably see some bonuses go down. And uh, Ben Baller's very, I think, he's reporting there's a lot of very unsettled people in Latin America who think that if you put a cap on international signings, that all that's going to mean is bigger kickbacks and less money to the players who actually deserve the money. And the other thing with this is that, and again, we'll have to see, first of all, what the structure is, and then see what the unintended effects, because as you said, it always happens that whatever Major League Baseball has tried to do in the last 10 years especially, 
has never really worked out exactly as they think it will. Um, but I mean, one of the things I've not heard lately is is what the signing date is going to be, which I'll be very interested to hear what the because there seems Correct. to be that's one thing that seems to there's a consensus on, which is I think we really do think it's going to be July fifteenth, which would be and, I think I don't think you hear anyone who will disagree with that. I think that I, I agree with you. And, and you know what? Better, if I'm the, the New York Penn thing, League, if I'm the New York Penn League or I'm the Northwest League, I'm ecstatic when I hear that. Oh, absolutely! I think the best thing actually might be JJ if they move the draft further back in June and move the signing date up. They can move the draft unilaterally any time in the month of June. So if they had the draft at basically the end of June, and then the signing deadline was basically the week after the All-Star game, oh, that, why is that bad? That would be awesome. You have as, two as weeks. Had, as, you've had scouting directors tell out. you too, but I've had scouting directors tell me, we can do this in a couple yeah, of days. I correct. mean, really. it's hey, th- th- every, uh, If you love the draft, you have to ha- either have read or you should read Alex Spear, our Red Sox correspondent at WEEI.com, did an amazing feature a couple weeks after the fact on the Red Sox deadline uh, on August 16th this year um, and how they handled the deadline, how they had a million, a dozen computers set up. All of them have, like, the email of these rough drafts of the contract ready to go. Just their level of preparation that they did to handle and, all and these the re- negotiations, like six, seven, eight negotiations before, at the last minute. And the reality of it is, is that they did all of those, and if you moved it up to July 15th, they'd, they'd have the done thing. the same thing. It exactly would not have right. changed it at all. There's not one of those that they said, we're not ready to do this negotiation. Correct. So I agree with you. Good that you brought that but, up. The deadline hopefully will move up and I think should move up and won't be a big The a big other difference. thing that I'll say that could, if this works as MLB says that they hope it will, I actually think the teams that will be hurt by it are some of the small market teams. I agree uh, to an extent, yes. Uh, again, without knowing the specifics, I don't know right. if we can right. I don't want to go into it, but I'm just saying, but if, but if, I'm just saying, if it works as MLB hopes, if MLB, because MLB's intention with this is that we're not going to see, they want to keep bonuses down and to not see outliers. Right. They, they want, want less Mark Binfords. Right. They he want a Royals prospect that you're But they want is they Christian want Binford or Mark Christian, Binford? I think, yeah. But they want uh I am still I'm right now so much in Royals that it That's could okay. be it's not Jack Lopez. It's, it's Binford. Guy. Yeah. But but there are they don't want you to see, yeah, uh, something where okay, well that guy was a first round talent and he fell to the fourth round. That's one of the things that they seem to their goal, whether it happens or not, but that's their goal. Their goal is is that what they think they're doing by putting in these kind of things that the first pick in the draft with a team that they'll be the player that, that team thought was number one on its board, the second pick in the draft will be the team that that guy thought was number two, and then the sixty second pick in the draft will not be the guy who will sign at the sixty second slot. It's the guy that that team wanted. That's what they. That's what they. That's their goal. Their goal is to have it set up so teams. Know what it costs to sign the player. The, the teams know what it costs to sign. The players know what bonus they'll get, and you take the player and he signs. And there's no rancor, basically. That, that that's their utopian vision of the draft. Which is everyone gets the players they want. That's never going to happen. It's and never going to happen. I don't know why they keep trying to have that as their utopian vision. And this is the thing that Jim Callis has said. And we can wrap it up with this if we want to move on to. The, but again, not knowing specifics, but Jim Callis has made the point a thousand times, and I've. Kind of, you know, I agree with some of this. I think you do too. If you are working on trying to keep these bonuses down, and you're doing that, what you're doing, if you're a small market team, the best money you can spend as a small market team is 
if you spend an extra six million dollars in your draft, yep. the potential bang for your buck on that six million dollars, which if you spend an extra six million dollars in a draft, that's taking you a lot of times from say spending six to twelve. That's significant. I agree. That is way better for you as an organization than, say, than spending signing Cliff Barmas for ten million dollars. Right. Which is what the Pirates just did. And the reality of it is is that that money is not nearly as useful as when they spent, what was it, $14 million or whatever? Yeah, when, the they signed, when they signed Bell and Cole. And $13 million on Cole and Bell alone. And I, I like Clint Barmas as a nice stopgap, big league but, shortstop. But, yes, but if you're, for the if long-term you're, health of the organization, it's, it's better to spend that money. And if draft. your intent as Major League Baseball is – if there is any way, and I don't think it is, but if their intent is that they want competitive balance, this, I think they do want that. Actually, if they, I'm, I'm, I think they do. I don't think that anything they're doing with the draft here is actually about competitive balance. I think it's about limiting bonuses. Correct, I agree. Originally, I do. I think I think that the history of the draft is that it has led to competitive. Right, balance, I'm not saying that it's better than a free for all. Yes, the draft. I think that was the original intention right. in some ways, but the other thing was. Yes, but the reality of it is, is that if they if they're saying Same you're looking money. at it and saying the Red Sox and Yankees spend a lot of money, especially the Red Sox spend a lot of money in the draft, that's true. But you know what? They don't spend way much, all that much more than the Pirates. The, or the, the gap between them and the draft and other teams is a lot smaller in the draft than it is in the major right. league salary. Right. So let's yeah. we'll talk more about the uh, the draft and its ramifications and the changes in the CBA on another podcast. Real quick, before we get to the NL Central, we also need to talk about this award thing that we were arguing about yeah. before. Um, well, we won't even have to have that same argument. Justin Verlander, American League MVP, you're okay with that? Mm-hmm. I was okay with that, even though I don't think uh, – if you're looking through the history of pitcher seasons, is Justin Verlander more deserving than Pedro Martinez was in 1999 or 2000? No. S- certainly he's not. No. But the offensive numbers are down in 2011. But, and the, there really wasn't a standout position player, I don't think, J.J. I mean, I, well, the guy who's a standout position player, a lot of guys aren't going to vote for. Well, there were two, actually. Jose Batista's uh, offensive uh, numbers are slightly better than Jacoby Ellsbury's, but not by a ton. Right, but, and Jacoby Ellsbury plays center field and plays it well. I don't think it was a slam dunk that Batista had the best season. That's I, I, th- I think Batista probably did, but it I, wasn't. I don't. I think by some war measurements, if you want to use war, Ellsbury was number one right. in war. I, in again, League. personally, I think Batista probably had the best season, but I think the, both of those, right. Both The reality, though, is, is that a lot, there are a lot of voters out there who are not going to. And, again, I'm not someone who subscribes to this theory, especially when it comes to a case like if you're telling right. me that Ellsbury is valuable if they win in game 162, and he's not valuable enough if they lose in game 162. Right. That makes no sense to me at all. I, I'm sorry, but the logic that, oh, well, it doesn't matter because they didn't make the playoffs, to me, I understand value. You can work it a, a million different ways, but especially that argument to me makes no sense at all. Well, I'm sorry they didn't make the playoffs, therefore it can't be he can't be MVP. I think it has a small amount of value. I don't. I don't. Dis, I don't dismiss where they stay. Where they, I don't. I. I don't dismiss that at all. But, but, but I don't think that. Uh, but I, I. Your point that Boston makes the playoffs. That one game difference. That's a good point. That one inning. That, I mean, that, that you know, they basically. That's a good. No, that that is a good point. If you thought that Jacoby Ellsbury was the MVP on game one six fifty nine when the Red Sox had a two game lead and you thought they were going to make the playoffs. Than you thought he was, but they didn't win it. Because you know, it's not like he did anything bad. Right. It's like, yeah, again, games. he did he everything he could. He did everything right. he could those last couple of games. I don't understand that but logic. I do, but I do think there's logic in voting for a player 
if they're similar seasons, oh, yeah. I got a first or second Ty. place. And that's my so that my so my point is that I would have voted for Ellsbury over Batista because they have very similar seasons. And, and again, I can, on a there's team. a logic to that. I can understand that. And Ellsbury kind of tr- did everything he could to put that team on his back. But uh, I the, love looking at the B-Ref war, by the way. I never looked at Baseball References war. That, uh, the year-by-year leaders that Albert Pujols has won- led the National oh, League. Yeah. It had been six straight years until this year with uh, Matt Kemp. Matt Kemp was the first ten war seasons since Barry Bonds. Matt Kemp was R, not because of his war. I'm just looking at his I mean, war. But uh, was, he was R major it, it, it league player. It came up. We we did mention it. I mean, but that, well, yeah, that's not why I voted for right. him. But uh, it did it did come up. I, I just I didn't know that he had. A, I knew that he had an, an historic or a historic. I prefer a historic. Anyway, he had a, a historic season for center fielder. He was kind of an easy choice for us actually for major league player of the year. Uh, do you think he'll me? win the National League MVP? I think it's about fifty fifty. Yeah, I think more likely Ryan Braun's going to win that. Right. I, I really do think Ryan Braun's going to win. And that. you know. That's it's defensible. It's me. defensible. Um, you don't I, seem to think so, actually. No, I, I do think it's defensible. I do. Again, I have a different approach as far as my logic of it, but I understand that have, is neither of us have votes. By the way, none of us at Baseball America have a vote, right? Or has a vote. But I understand that there's a logic to that as well. You have different. I mean, the to sound all snooty about, there's different paradigms, and I have mine, Paradigm, and some people nice. have others. You know, and that's fine. Um, I think there are different defensible choices. I, I don't. Guess. I don't see. If, to me, Braun and Kemp had very similar seasons. I don't see giving it to a left fielder over a center fielder. And even with the with the Brewers uh, season, to me, Prince Fielder season is so similar to Ryan Braun's. My, I don't. I, I, you know, to me, Ellsbury was clearly the Red Sox best player. It was head and shoulders above Dustin Pedroia and Adrian Gonzalez, as good as those guys were. I don't think you can say make that same case for Ryan Braun and defensively. He and Prince Fielder play positions that are basically of equal importance. They're low on the – their job is to hit. Their best position is batter's box. Ryan Braun should be better on defense, but he's not. Um, so, to me, that's a knock against him. That's why I would vote for, for Kemp. Plus, uh, the Dodgers did have a winning record. They weren't really contenders, but they were quite good in the second half. And on a team with all that turmoil, they're a little bit of a special case in that it was so ugly there and that Kemp rose above See that – Difficulty. Uh, I, I give him some points for that. Right. That's where, to me, like it, it, it is easier to me to vote from the standpoint of okay. I'm not saying you don't get a couple of bonus points if your team was a number was a championship team or was you know made a wild it's card. It's certainly easier. It's a bonus point. It's certainly but, easier. But it does I, make I it make, it makes it a little easier to be consistent though. If you, to me, like if you say, look, look, if you say because the reality is this, and this is what they want when they say choose the most valuable player. By design, they don't come out and say, yeah, exactly. here is what. They it's say not sim- they don't make it simple. They say, give your opinion of value. They be, they being the BBWA. Right. They give your opinion of value. And you can view value differently than someone else. I don't mind and it being again, a little complicated for and some again, people. I don't have a problem with that in that just because I view it this way doesn't mean my way is right. It's right. But I, I do try to, if you said, what would I do? It I is. try to be consistent on it from... It is analogous, though, to how we rank prospects. You rank prospects a little differently than I might rank mm-hmm. them, a little bit differently than Jim Callis might rank them. We're not monolithic, and I don't see that as a problem. Some people But now do. I'll say this. But as a BA, when you see our top ten, the writer who individ- who starts, who puts it together yeah. is our starting point on that. Correct. At the same time, and though. And the National League Central, by the way, we have a lot of out-of-house writers. At the same time, though. The best way to put it is, is 
I don't know if anyone ever puts together a top 30 and we don't at least debate moving guys around in it. There is I, not a top 30 in the book that guys will get moved around on, including Jim's. Right. I move guys around on Jim's right. lists. Because we, it is still the Baseball America ranking, and as such, what, a, what we th- I think of one of the strengths of it is, is that it is a list that starts out at one thing and then we sift it through several right. levels. Right. And by doing that, I think it makes for a better list because what we're saying is, is any one of us, if I just say, okay, I'm going to rank all 30, you know, in every organization. Right. I'm going to have some guys that I'm wrong on. I no, that, that, I don't think there's a wrong. I think wrong right, is the wrong I'm, answer. That but, I'm going to be but you're higher on, higher low on. People. And the reality of this is that not only no, not but I'm, when I say wrong, I'll be higher low on some guys because you know what? Because but I'll say wrong because if I did that and then ran it by you, Jim, Will, and everyone else. I would be convinced on some players, you know what, I was high on that guy. Then I was wrong. Hmm, okay. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, Kyle, mean, like I was on Kyle Martin a couple of years ago in your list, apparently. Although who knows, actually, who well, was He right retired, so who knows. But, you know, I mean, <laughs> but but what I'm saying, though, is just that, like, and I've said to Jim, like, I've turned in my my Reds list, and we started talking about a couple of guys, and I'm like, you know what? Yeah, I see the logic of that. That probably makes more sense. Like when Jim was like talking last year, you feel like in retrospect that Kyle Lotzkar was, was not the right guy to be number. He 10. Was, should not have been number ten. Or, but at the same time, and I try to do the same thing, and you try to do the same thing. Like Jim and I were talking about Tony Zitch in the Cubs list. Right. You know, he'll be in the top thirty. I'll give you right. that. He'll be in the top thirty. Yeah, honestly, I don't know what his final resting place is in that list. Because, well, yeah, it's not set yet because he kept. Well, I think it is, but, but he's a guy that me and Jim kept debating all week. But. But we also, though, by you bring someone else's perspective in, you try to refine this list. Because, like he said, okay, here's where I had Zitch, and here's, you know, here's what I think about him. And so I threw out the question of, okay, so compare that guy to a guy in my list, Brad Boxberger. Yep. Now, good comp. Which, and the question is, is okay, do you think this guy's got a higher ceiling than Boxberger? And, and, if you do, why? And is it only because? Boxberger has now reached Triple A, right? And we know more about and him. And we know more about him compared to this guy who hasn't thrown a pro pitch yet. And that's that's one thing that we're debating and we're using internally here. And I think we don't even know if we're going to put it in the book, JJ. But we're, we're we're toying around with an internal rating system to try to make these actually that would actually bring more consistency across all of our top thirties. And it actually also the other thing that this would do. And I'm just hinting at it. I'll, you can buy the book and see if it's in there or not. Um, one thing it would do. Is it would stop put people basically from putting a gut feel guy at ten, because if that guy's basically this grade does not fit at ten, you can't have guys with a lower grade below him. But this is why I also hope. Yeah, I think it's going to. I think it's going to work. I it, think it's going to be in the. It, I'm excited. The other about reason it, that the other thing that would be key about this is that we'll be honest. We have the organization talent rankings at the front, but we yeah. have not had a, a an easy way to look at it. That has been say, hectic. And to say, okay, how does this organization's top 30 really compare to this one? You can kind of do it yourself if you wanted to when you had the book, which for reading it at home. And that's what we do. Basically, that has been done by me, Will, and Jim. When the book is done, the last day of the book, one of the last things we do is we each take an hour, go through all the organizations, rank them, put them in a spreadsheet, this, debate our order. This is a hopefully going to be a little bit more front-end of that. I agree. But also what it will allow you to do is, if it works out as we hope, 
you may be able to look and say, hey, the number 20 guy in this organization would be the number that's right. five guy in this organization. Correct. And, and that's something we want to do. We've done that on a gut feel basis, on a snapshot basis, but now we're going to have it right. on we've a spreadsheet basis. Right, we've talked about it. Like, like, I mean, the reality of it is, is like we've talked about it in the past. Like, okay, I'm so, very excited about it. So, like last year, the Royals were number one, the Astros were number 30. And I do remember we talked about it. Okay, so. That's right. So where does the Royals' number three prospect slot in on the on the I mean on the Astros' number three prospect slot in, in the Royals list? And it's like well, let's talk about that this year, JJ. Could go to the National League Central. Where would Jonathan Singleton rank on your Royals' top ten? He'd be in top five. I you don't think he'd be number one? I would take him over Mike Montgomery. I don't know who your number one is. He's right there for me with Will Myers. What about Bubba Starling? That's a good question. I mean, that's what I'm saying. I haven't sat down and really, anal- but I would say, I mean, I don't think we're I giving like away Jonathan the story. We're not, I, I he's like the, he's the best first baseman in the minor leagues. I would take him over even Yonder Alonso. Now, if uh, I needed I, a, if I needed a first baseman in the major leagues in 2012, like the Astros kind of might, if they don't want to play Carlos Lee at first base, if they want to stick him in left field again. Uh, I think though they want to play Carlos Lee at first base. Don't they? I think they want to play Carlos Lee at first base. They can't get anyone to take his contract, so I think they would rather have. Uh, uh, Jonathan Singleton right now. Now, if someone wanted to take Carlos Lee, or if they were in the American League in 2012, and they could play Carlos Lee at DH, they'd rather have Yonder. Uh, I will point out with this, it is true. He may He's in that discussion for the best first base from the minors. What also stands out is, is how few first base prospects are in the minors right now. That's another part of that. Right. I was going to say, because if you rewound this three or four years ago... Yeah, after that 2008 draft, yes. He doesn't fit in not, He's he, not quite as elite was instantly say, as others. Those are a lot of college bats that were perceived. But also, you have guys good. like Hosmer. You had guys like like if you well, compare two thousand eight draft. No, no, but yeah, but like if you compare to me, Hosmer and Singleton, I'd rather have Hosmer. Correct. If you compare to me, the reality is most of those first basemen from that you know eight draft. There are a lot of those guys who. But Ike Davis has been a good big leaguer already, right. better than people expected. Um, Justin Smoke has been a disappointment. I'd rather have Singleton than Smoke. Alan Dykstra's terrible. I would rather have Singleton than terrible. He was a terrible pick at the time. Yonder Alonso's still waiting to get a big league Still shot. gaining acceptance. <laughs> uh, David Cooper, I'd rather, I'd rather have, have Jonathan, Jonathan Singleton. Singleton. And there's one other first well, base. I was going to say, that 08 draft, the, thing is, the point I was making is, is that there were some, some really good first base prospects. A lot of them have not come from that first round, the 08 college group, because a lot of those yeah, guys right. have failed. Paul Goldschmidt, he wasn't that 08 right. draft, I don't think. I think he was 09, but... Uh, would you rather have Paul Goldschmidt or Jonathan Singleton? Long term, I think Jonathan Singleton had a better career. I, I really do. I, Although I, think, I like Paul Goldschmidt. Not as I much as Ben Badler, but I like Paul Goldschmidt. I, I, I think, though, but I, I, that's, that yep. is true. Like, like I think that the Astros, we'll jump in on the Astros here. I which do, prospect would you rather have as your top pitching prospect, Jared Kozar or Mike Montgomery? Mike Montgomery. That's a tough one. I think I'd rather have Mike Montgomery, too. He's, that's tough. He, he, I'll put it this way. What would be – I don't think it's actually that tough. What would be the argument? Jared Kozar has much bigger stuff, and he's not. No, he's, right, he's, for, he's right-handed. Montgomery is up to 96 from the left side with Ed, on these that, good days, three-plus pitches. You know I like Mike Montgomery. But I'm saying, but, this but, guy's got a 70 fastball. Mike Montgomery does not pitch with a 70 fastball. This guy has a 70 fastball a lot of times. I've seen it myself. Yeah, but I don't I – had, I had two scouts I, that night tell me this is a 70 fastball. That was an fastball. A ball two years ago, a year yeah, and a half but ago, that whatever a ball, it was. That A ball was much better than Jared Cozart had an A ball, high A ball this year it in was. an easier league to pitch. It was. Maybe I'm maybe I'm starting to lose my. Uh, maybe I have prospect fatigue on Mike right. Montgomery. I do like Mike Montgomery. I think Jared Cozart has bigger stuff. I really but, do. But my thing though is just that Co- Montgomery. I do think he, some he, of the shine you lose it because he's gone. He had a. I don't. I think what I'm. My point is when you see Jared Co- when people see Jared Cozart pitch, 
he has wow factor that Montgomery does not have. And you and also but those for Montgomery same people, and seven for Kozar. But the same people, a, lot of, a lot of the same people say there's no way this guy can be a starter. I haven't run into anybody who says no way. But there's, I really think haven't. there's a pretty good chance he's going to be a reliever because his delivery and the other I don't, question. I, don't, I think that's the easiest the, thing for a scout to say about a pitcher. But the, that's a CYA thing for a scout the, to say. Uh, and the other question with Kozart, though, is, is that, which is a good question, is for as good as his stuff is, why does he not miss more bats? That is a much more legitimate question to me. Because he does not miss a lot of bats. He hasn't. He definitely hasn't. That is that. That's the that is a very legitimate point. I think the other stuff about him being a reliever, to me, is, I, I wouldn't say it's garbage. I think it's CYA. I really do. To me, Jared Cozart is a lot more raw because he was a two way guy in high school yeah. and he hasn't focused on pitching and he's a one yes less year of uh, pitching experience than Montgomery has as a pro. I think he's a lot further away from his ceiling, not just because it's A ball versus Triple A. I think he's a lot more raw. So that's why I think. People chalking him up as a relief pitcher already is right, kind of and a I, joke. But but I but but I I would agree with you. I think I think Kozar's stuff is bigger. I think it's undeniably bigger stuff than Montgomery. I think Montgomery would probably get the edge for most organizations because he's left-handed, closer to the majors, and still has pretty big stuff. And so, he's got a better frame too. Yeah, he's a lot taller. He's a downhill. He's, I mean, you get that downhill plane that this you. This guy's what six two, six three, but uh, when this guy talks to an instructional little guy. Like, that's right. Because yeah. he's such a small frame. Absolutely. Uh, that said, he did throw what a hundred some innings, hundred forty four innings. He this threw hundred forty innings this year. The concern is though is, is that they were not particularly hundred forty uh, particularly effective innings on his. I mean, admittedly, great Clearwater team, no doubt about that. Yeah, he was the but third was, best guy in terms of performance. Yeah, third or fourth. Yeah, I mean, because it, it, Julio, Julio Rodriguez had the best performance. Then I would say probably, probably Pettibone and, and Trevor, Trevor May, May was right better there. too. Trevor May he was, struck out a lot of guys, but you know he walked a lot more guys too. Right. There, there's a lot of he. He's very similar to Trevor May. Right. And again, uh, while he's a Texas guy and Trevor May's from the Pacific Northwest and has a bigger body, Jared Kozart can sweat properly. He didn't have <laughs> a pro- he didn't have a problem with sweat like Trevor May did. A and B, frankly, he throws more strikes. That's a tough call. Who would I rather have, Trevor May or Jared Cozart? I give a slight edge to Jared Cozart. I'm going to go May for me. All right, uh, but I, I like the I like the Astros no, the, top seven prospects. The, the, that's yeah. I, I which the other notable part of that 10. is the, the Astros top seven prospects. I feel compelled to note are the seven guys that they've brought in in trades. No six, six George, George and Springer. George Springer, George Springer, and six guys they brought in in trades. Correct, and I think the important part. I actually just wrote my column about this. I, I think before we judge the Astros scouting department and player development oh, I agree so harshly uh, for the fact that six of their top seven guys are trade pieces, uh, as even Richard Justice did, the columnist for the Houston Chronicle, and that was his. He saw the top ten and he just said indictment of Bobby Heck, and I think Richard's wrong. And the reason that he's wrong is I think you have to acknowledge how deep the hole was. You know, if anybody it's should an indictment go, of it, I, it doesn't know. But the question is, is who do you point the fingers at? Because it's an the, indictment of their the farm system finger, and all. The first finger that gets pointed is at Tal Smith. Number one, because I'm a Carolina guy and he went to Duke. <laughs> <laughs> no. uh, he kids. Sorry. Number he two, I do kid. I really do hate Duke. Number two, in spite of the fact that I love Danny Otero, my favorite 40 man ad who went to Duke. Number two reason is that Tal Smith has been there forever. Tal Smith has been in the Astro system forever, and they've had bad drafts for 10 years. And to me, that had just been a message from on high that the draft doesn't matter. Since Lance Berkman, J.J., drafted in 1997, and then they also in 97 brought in to their organization Roy Oswalt, 96 draft and follow. 
So since 97, they've brought in two, basically, but three regulars of, of any note. I'm not giving my main man, Jason Lane, credit as a regular of note. He had one good year as a big league regular. Morgan Ensberg, who had a very short career and is already a overwrought broadcaster. Ben Zobrist, who was an accidental six-round pick. And Hunter Pence. That's it. That is it. They haven't drafted well for a long time. That's David Lakey, Paul Ricciarini, and Bobby Heck as scouting directors. That's the that's the whole that's a whole lot of area scouts, cross checkers. There's so much turnover, I'm sure, and player development, farm directors, coordinators. It's been a collective fail on the part of the Astros in scouting and player development for more than a decade, with very few exceptions. And to me, that comes from on high, from Drayton McLean, Tal Smith, the people who are in charge of the organization, of what direction the organization is going to go in. They've chosen to spend money only one place. That's on the major league roster. They haven't chosen to spend in the draft. And it really went downhill when they didn't go over slot for Drew Stubbs out of high school. Let him go to the University Which, of Texas. The, re- the reality is, is as bad as Drew Stubbs had a bad year this year, he would still... He'd be their best draft pick since, other than Hunter Pence and Ben Zobrist in the last fifty since since Lance Berkman, and there's no question. So they, and it's, 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 it's a, it's a Derek Dietrich, up. who they also did not would be yeah. would be one of the he would he would I don't know rank. That he'd be in this top ten. I wouldn't put him over Telvin Nash. I'd take Telvin Nash over him. He's a not a shortstop. I yeah. like Derek Dietrich. He's probably a utility guy. So I, I like Dietrich. Brett Eibner, high ceiling, but. You know, you don't know how their career would go differently, but right. I think you have to understand just how deep the hole was the Astros were in. I think there are things that Bobby Heck and his group could have done better. Specifically, I think that the college players the Astros have drafted haven't been great college draft picks, especially college but pitchers. The point, though, you're the, but my the point, point is you're their making. Their hole was their hole was the Marianas Trench. It was really, really the, deep. The point you're making, and we we went back and looked at a couple of years. Like you, you look at like their 2009 minor league clubs. There were teams. That did not have anyone on them. Oh yeah, that that made the major leagues. And I'll put it this way, JJ, they've had two winning full season teams out of their last twenty, last five years. You go back 2007 through 2011, five years, four minor league full season teams every year. Two of them have had a winning record. One of them was 71 and 68. They have no talent. They've had no talent. And the thing, when Bobby and the thing about came this is in, that, they had no but the point, talent. The point with that is is that when you do have no talent, when you have no talent, that also hurts development of when you bring in a prospect. That's correct. Because for one, he doesn't have anyone you don't you generally don't have someone to model yourself after. Correct. For two, you generally have to get pushed levels above where you should be because well, we don't have anyone to play right. that position. Hey, we know we were low. I was low on Jose Altuve last year. Jose Altuve still shouldn't have been in the major leagues. He should not have been in the major leagues this year. And a good organization, he's not. you don't have a guy who goes from instructs to the big leagues in one year. I don't care how good his first half is or was in the minor leagues. Uh, same with Jimmy Paredes. Same with J.D. Martinez to a lesser degree, although at least J.D. Martinez, was somewhat- I think we know what he is. He's going to be a solid average, maybe above average hitter, and a below average athlete slash defender. That, that's kind of who he is. Uh, maybe he's Carlos Leap 2.0. So – so I, I, the Astros' lack of talent and the hole they were in meant that Delano DeShields had to be in full-season ball all year, and he shouldn't have been. Mike Fultonavich was in full-season ball all year, and he shouldn't have been. And that affects development of guys like Tanner Bushu, who was in full-season ball in 2010, survived but shouldn't have been there. And then I think is, and it's the word I have in the organization is he was exhausted last off season. 
didn't come to camp in a, as strong or as in shape as he should have. Maybe if he played a half season, maybe if he'd been in Tri City in 2010, he would have been in shape physically to go 2011. So it's a cumulative effect. And uh, the Reds, the organization you do a top 10 for, it's kind of the opposite of that, JJ. And that they've had pretty nice depth. And now, I guess they have the opposite problem. Is there any, you know, some stagnation setting in with some of these prospects? Have any of you guys gone backwards being in AAA for a second year? At best, I think you could argue that several of them have basically not improved because yeah. of it. I mean, I don't know that you can say that that really did Zach Cozart gain anything by another 300 at bats in AAA this year. He hit he had hit 20 home runs, I believe, the year before, if I remember correctly, in AAA. Yeah, something like that. You know, so I'm not saying there he weren't some. Good AAA I'm, the year, the year I'm not saying that there were not some things. I'm sure that he had some polish and all, but the reality of it is, is that no, he probably did not need that. They have a whole lot of guys in their top ten who I've been writing about now. It seems like which Cozart would rather have, Jared or Zach? Jared, yeah, probably. I mean, I mean, just long term, but if I, hey, if I need a shortstop for this year, you know, I need Zach. Zach. But um, I mean, the, there are things that jump out with the with the Reds that they they're very consistent about. One is, you know, <laughs> there's always going to be some shortstops in their top ten. That's right. They from the man who brought you the farm system with Michael Young. And Orlando Hudson and all the middle infielders. The story we both Isteris. heard from the story we both heard from Sky Director Chris Buckley for more than a decade now. But so they, if you look at this top ten, Billy Hamilton, Zach Cozart, Didi Gregorius. Yeah, that's three shortstops, and those are three shortstops there. Three very different shortstops. Three very different shortstops. Maybe not all of them end up being a shortstop. And Billy Hamilton's biggest question on that. But those are all middle of the diamond-type players who are going to play short, second, or in Hamilton's case, you Maybe know, there are some field. scouts who think that, you know, hey, just put him in center field and let him be a gold glover and steal 100 bases and do all that. The other thing they're going to have, the, the, the Reds... It's so awesome to look down at his stat line and see 103. I'm sorry, that's just awesome. The, the other thing for the Reds, though, is that they are a team that does not draft, say, oh, we took a guy in this, or we've got this guy, so we're not going to take this guy. Right. And that's so they go by their board. They make they their go board by their board and they draft their board. And the thing that, that there's here's the advantage of that: if you look at their top picks year by year, Homer Bailey, Jay Bruce, Drew Stubbs, Devin Mazzarocco, Yonder Alonso, Mike Leake, Yasmani Grandal, Robert Stevenson. Robert Stevenson, we haven't seen anything yet. We can't make any judgment on him. From 2004 on, I don't think you can say another one of those guys has not worked out. Like, yeah, Homer's the one guy. Who... Right, Homer has not reached the eight potential that he should have, that everyone expected him to reach. Yeah. At the same time, he's had some success. He's he is a back end of the rotation starter now for essentially three years. Yeah. And he'll be a back end of the rotation starter at least for probably another five. You know. Yeah, he's got four hundred thirty big, big league, league innings. That's, That's a not a bust. Story, I would say it's not a bust. I agree. Right. The thing that jumps out with that though is, is that. Now, but so what you get with that, though, is, is Yonder Alonso is a first baseman. Yonder Alonso can't play first base as long as Joey Votto's there. That's right. Yasmani Grandal is a catcher. Maybe he can play a little third or but he's a catcher. That's his value. Devin Mesoraco may close that door before Yasmani Grandal gets to the big leagues, or they may a year from now say, hey, Devin Mesoraco, set aside, we're going to put Yasmani Grandal there. Right. They right. have a decision to make there. If Zach Cozart steps in as expected and plays shortstop this year and plays well, a year from now, Didi Gregorius is probably going to be ready to play at the big league level. Well, 
probably he's going to be on that Zuck Cozart plan where it's That's like, right. you know what? Get 700, 800 at bats at AAA, then let's talk. I'm not even sure if that's a uh, Dusty Baker thing. It's really just the Reds thing right now. And then Todd Frazier, who, when Todd Frazier was drafted, one of the selling points of him is is that he was a pretty polished guy who you thought right. could move pretty quickly. Well, he was drafted in 07. He's going to be 26 two, next year. He's going to be 26 this year. And the reality of it is, is that there's no spot for Todd Frazier to play every day probably. Yeah, except for shortstop. He wants a shot at that shortstop yeah, job. I don't think that's that happening. That would be awesome. <laughs> it would just be don't awesome. Don't think that's happening. And so that's the thing that jumps out with the Reds is, is that there is a lot of depth here. Ideally, of their top ten prospects here, one, two, three, f- five of them could lose rookie eligibility this year. I'll tell you what, who my cheese ball is in that list is D.D. Gregorius. I, I'd like some I D. like D.D. Gregorius. He seems like a shortstop with a little juice and uh, whose best athletic he, ability. And whose best days are probably still ahead of him. I mean, yeah. again, relatively polished, but we are talking about a, he, he was 21 all year. Double A for the second half of the season, 21-year-old. What was his injury this year? Why did he miss a little time? Um, it was uh, stuff. Uh, spring training. Um, it was, oh, what was it? He had a he had a minor uh I think it was intestinal issue if I remember correctly in spring training or something Indigestion. there was something sorry, that held him back a little bit I'm, and I'm sorry I'm just not remembering off the top of my head right now Touch on the spot but um but no there's some there's he's got some tools he's a guy this is another thing how we put together our list I liked him he moved up on this list once I started talking to people outside of that organization because hmm. Inside the organization, when people say they like someone, you you expect that. You know? That's right. <laughs> if you don't like any of your prospects, well, then you're probably in the you wrong know, you, field you, of business. You really shouldn't be talking to us. You need to figure out that you can you know try to massage that system a little bit. You know, but, talk up your prospects to us. But when we talk to when we because we do we cross check all these lists with people outside the organizations, and when you'd have guy would you know you talk to guys and they'd say you know what that Gregorius I really like Gregorius. That's when it kind of jumps out like, hey, you know, and then you kind of step back and go, well, let's look at him. 21-year-old, played shortstop at double-A, good defensively, got a really good arm, athleticism. Yeah, I could see that being, you know, a guy who's a top-ten prospect. Don't forget, starting shortstop here, World Cup gold medalists uh, and, with the Netherlands. Tim Stufbergen swears by Didi Gregorius. Actually, I don't think I even asked uh, – I don't even think I asked him about Didi Gregorius, but uh, by the way, played shortstop on a team that also had, uh, yeah, I mean, and they had Charlon Shoop and uh, Jonathan Scope, Jonathan, 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 Jonathan Scope, Scope and Jonathan, Charlon Scope. Charlon John, played a lot of first base in that event. That, also, they had Xander Bogarts. The thing is, we said we said before that we said it before it started. That's best one of the infield cool. in the World Cup was we on said the they had, We said they might have the best roster in terms of prospects and like talent. We said they might have the best roster. Now they didn't win the World Cup because of Xander Bogarts. Jonathan Scope was important. And so was Didi Gregorius. He let, he was second on their team in walks. They mainly won because of Stuf Bergen, Rob Cordovans, and Kurt Smith. Okay, and we got we got to get back on we got to get back on Cup system. Cup system. Speaking of the World Cup, Team USA center fielder Brett Jackson, number one, was number one on our Cubs list. Um, JJ, I'll be honest. The, the, the quick thing on the Cubs is to me, uh, I look at these mug shots. I'm off Dan Vogelbach. I love Dan Vogelbach. I respect Dan Vogelbach, a high school kid who's listed already at 255. He's going to have to be Prince Fielder for me to think this guy's going to be an impact big leaguer. I was a little stunned 
that Jim put Vogelbaum at number 10. And the Cubs list is not the greatest top 10 in the world. It's not the worst one in this division, but it's close. To me? It's closer to the worst one than it is to the best one. There are a lot of guys in the second half of this top 10 who don't look like top 10 guys to me. Yeah, Josh Vitters, Rafael Dolis, and Junior Lake are all guys with pretty big holes in their games. Right. Uh, Josh Vitters, I think, still has a pretty high upside, but, I mean, because he does have bat-to-ball skills, but he's too much for his own good. Right, you know? it is. It's one of those things where it's like, If okay. his name was Josh Gonzalez, and he was a Latin American signee with that, and not the number three overall pick with his track record, not I don't think he'd be in the top ten. Let's be no. honest. No, uh, I think that's... So there's a lot of guys in this on this list who, you know, just – there's a lot of guys who I go, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. And I don't know – to be honest, I don't know. The Cubs have a whole lot of guys playing the same positions at the same, on the same team. Yeah, it's a big problem, I think. And a lot of them playing positions that they don't profile for. I've not been a big fan of their player development approach for a long but time, and that's an example of it. They, Josh I don't Vitters understand D- the, why you do that. Why do you play Josh Vitters and like and all these other third basemen on the DJ same LeMahieu, team? DJ Lemayhu, Ryan Flaherty, all three of those three guys. Examples. All three of those guys played third base at some point on the same team. It wasn't something where they said, "Okay, Lemayhu, you're playing this. Flaherty, you're playing this." They did. Flaherty and Lemayhu did that the year before in the Florida State League too. Okay, today. Flaherty, you're a second baseman. Right. Today, LeMahieu, you're a third baseman. Tomorrow, you're a th- Flaherty, you're a third baseman. LeMahieu, you're a second baseman. The thing I don't understand, well, especially the thing I don't understand with that is, is that what ends up happening is, is that you have these guys who... Don't forget, Junior Lake was on that team, too, and his right. best position probably is not shortstop. It's probably third base. Right. But they he was a short... You know, you're, yeah. And I, but I understand more of telling a guy, for now, you're a shortstop. Play yourself, you know, we're going to let you Correct. stay on it or that you're going to play yourself that off. Makes that, makes, more sense. that makes logical sense to me. But And the real problem with that, though, is, is that with LeMahieu, like, I don't think LeMahieu profiles at third base. No. I don't think he profiles anywhere. He's an extra guy. You know, they really believe in the bat. Um, but sure, but they, especially though, a singles hitter, great. But to me, with that, he is the guy like, okay, put Flaherty again, and I'm not – Hey, they know they know more about their their guys than than obviously than you we do. You certainly hope so. But that being said, Flaherty, if everything works right, Flaherty could profile third base. Probably not, right? But he could. He could if everything comes together. Ryan Flaherty is a left-handed hitting Mark DeRosa. If whereas Lemayhew, if he can play second, could profile at second base. Right. Yes. Even though, to, yeah, with today's game, where I think power. Is out of the game a little bit, yeah. High average, you know. DJ LeMahieu is like a dead ball era third baseman. That's what he should be. He should have been a, a, a singles hitting like a you know, you're, a, a pie trainer. What, era I think what the baseman. Cubs hope, what the that. Cubs hope is that they got Jeff Cirillo there. But the thing about it is, is yeah, I, they, they did. Huh? <laughs> they didn't. <laughs> yeah, you're right. That's what they think, but they didn't. Right, but I think that's what they're hoping is, right. is that, that that's a good comp. Is that that's production wise what he could be? That's a good. But the problem with that though there. is a couple of things. One is that Cirillo was Cirillo was really good defensively for he one. was he was. And for another is is that I mean there aren't <laughs> Jeff Cirillo. What stands out about him is, is he doesn't fit a profile because he's kind of one of those unique players. Right, and uh, I I I don't mean to hate on DJ Lemayhew, but I just don't see him or Junior Lake as future regulars and. 
I, you know, I saw Junior I, Lake, Lake in the be, fall. Lake league. could be a future regular, or you know, could coming out of the you know eighth inning, ninth inning. I, I think that honestly, I think that is kind of silly to think no. at this point that he's a pitcher. No, no, I'm I'm joking somewhat, but the reality but of it is, a lot is, of people that, aren't. A lot of people think he should be a pitcher by this point. He has an ADR. Yeah, he actually does not. I people keep saying that. Look at it. I watched I, that fall league game. It was ugly. His well, arm was ugly. All I know is, is in the Florida State League, I was getting that, you know, that's an 80. I would love to see that 80 arm because I was saying that beforehand too. And, you know, his manager, Stu Cole, at the Rising Stars game, that's playing against him in the Fall League. I think he manages him in the Fall League, I should say. Com- comped him to Troy Tulowitzki. That was crazy. The fact that Stu Cole wears Colorado Rockies gear and gets his paycheck, it says Dan O'Dowd on it, or, somebody, or, or Charles Montford signs his check, and he comped Junior Lake. To Tulowitzki is crazy. Then watching that game, I know it's one look, but even watching infield, JJ, I did not see that arm strength. It was in all my scouting reports. I wrote for MLB Network, one of the best arms in the minor leagues, if not the best arm in the minor leagues. He was either gassed or holding back, and he certainly did not look like he had shortstop actions. You know, like just you know, who he reminds me of just watching that one that game is Tim Beckham. He's very similar to Tim Beckham, and I take Tim Beckham, even though Junior Lake runs better. I'd take Tim Beckham. Neither one of them is a big league shortstop. Right, and that's the thing is, it's like I would take. That's Beckham the thing. It's like we're not scouts, but at the same time, it, it's funny. But we talked about like we went to an Appy League game together, and it's something that you can, when you see it, there yeah, is know. something that stands out. Like Nico Goodrum, I'd take him and be a future shortstop <laughs> over these two guys. Right, you're like you look at it, and it's like, pool, and it's like, and it's like. That is shortstop action. That's what we want. That's infield actions. That's, That's exactly it's not right. part one, part two, part three. It is there is no part where you can stop it and say that this is where he went from this to this. It's a fluid. Yeah, boy, we really liked Nico Goodrum. Yeah, we did. <laughs> he was really fun to watch take infield. It's the Baseball America podcast with John and JJ rifling through the National League Central. Um, we've done the first three in alphabetical order. JJ, I was actually emailing with a scout this morning about the Brewers. I think we wrote that the Brewers are much improved in their farm system, and yet maybe they, you know, we ranked them thirtieth last year. They would dispute that they were thirty. Every no, no, no let's make clear, you know, no one ever goes. Yeah, we were thirty. That's right. Uh, that, that, that usually people don't own it. They're not going to be thirty. The Astros this year. were thirty, and I don't think they would have said, "Yeah, we're thirty, even though they were a good thirty. I think they had a good year in their farm system this year, and it's still not a good farm system. I still think it's the weakest top ten in the division. Yeah, I mean, I like Willie Peralta, but he's not really a classic number one prospect. But he's not the guy that jumps out to me where I go. I I think about number five is where (laughs) this list starts to go. Okay, that's not because you do that. You do that test of okay, does this guy seem like a top ten prospect? Scooter Jeanette has hit. Let's make that clear. He had a really nice fall. Had a really good fall league. Second in the fall league in batting. He had a really good fall good for league. Him. If you're gonna do, if you're gonna go to the fall league, stand out a little bit. If you're gonna hit where the offense is good, hit 400 like Scooter Jeanette did. At the same time, yeah, Scooter Jeanette's ceiling is pretty low. Yes, you know there hasn't really ever been a superstar in any sport named Scooter. <laughs> Logan Schaefer, Cody Scarpetta, Taylor Green, good role players. Right. I, I was going to say, what? Which of those guys do you pick out and say that guy could be? An impact regular? None. I think Logan Schaefer will be a nice, uh, you know, if everything comes together, Logan Schaefer could be have a Mark Kotze kind of career. And that, and that is that's everything. High. That's aiming a little high. That's everything came together. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't have Mark Kotze's power. So, 
early no. career Mark Kotze power. You don't have Mark Kotze's two-way ability either. No, I don't think he can pitch. I really Jim Callis would strike me down for comparing him to Mark Kotze, his favorite college baseball player ever. Uh, Taylor Green, not really a, tr- a classic profile guy. He's a left-handed hitting infielder. You know, he could be their regular third baseman uh, the next two years going forward. You know, I think they wish that were Brett Lowry, but yeah. that ship has sailed. Uh, but, yeah, I agree. Um, I love Jimmy Nelson coming out of college. It's a pretty uninspiring year for a guy coming out of the Southeastern Conference to go to the Midwest League, an, an off uh, pitcher's league, and post a 430 ERA, and he still makes the top ten. It's an uninspiring year. And I also, also uh, I mean, admittedly throws hard, some command issues, mm-hmm. but – 65 walks, 146 innings isn't something that you look for from, again, a college guy pitching against younger yeah, hitters. Yeah, I think it's very possible that Taylor Tyler Thornburg, the number four prospect, is a reliever. But I think he could be an impact reliever. I do like their top three guys. Peralta's been had success at AA and AAA. Taylor Youngman and Jed Bradley are both good, solid college but, pitchers that they drafted. And the thing about it, though, is, is that, look, and we said this last year at the Brewers, they were 30. We understand there's different they ways. Games they the won 96 games because, in some ways, but they were 30. If you, they gutted the farm system right. intentionally. Right. They traded away their best prospects and their best young big leaguer who they right. just had come up. He was basically in his first year. Right. They traded those guys That's away. If you, if you took this team and said, okay, add in Jake Odorizzi, add in Brett Lowry. Right. Add in – I know he doesn't qualify, but add in Lorenzo, Lorenzo Cain. Cain. Add in Jeremy Jeffress. Right. I know he doesn't qualify, but add in Alcides Escobar. Right. It's a different system. Absolutely. They look a lot better. And if you add in a, in a better draft system where you don't have to wait till the middle of August. And to add in Dylan, Dylan Covey. Covey his, uh, his physical. So you could maybe – in a really the best part of a draft would be have the draft at the end of June. And in the middle of June, you have a Major League Baseball draft combine – and everybody comes in and at least has a medical combine. And you say, oh, Dylan Covey, it helps Dylan Covey too. By the way, you have type 1 juvenile diabetes. You need to get this taken care of. You know, that, again, that was part of the reason why the Brewers were 30 last year, and that was not their fault. So That was the fault of the system. Hey, you can't, system we can't talk to you. Them. You can't talk to them until the Correct. day before the deadline. Yep. Oh, well, now we don't have time. Dylan Covey didn't have time to Terrible. process it. Terrible. So uh, they get they – get, uh, and this year they get Jed Bradley out of it, and you know what? Jed Bradley's probably going to wind up being better than Dylan Covey anyway. So they had to suffer being the number 30 organization for a year, but I do think they're rebounding as an organization. Pittsburgh Pirates, Pirates J.J., still uh, working their way back. They're clearly investing a lot of money in the draft. I really like their top five, six guys. I'm, I'm a Kyle McPherson fan. I think he's a nice deep sleeper. Had a great breakthrough year this year. Kyle McPherson is impressive because that is a development like, success story. Yeah. That is a development success story where a guy who you can say, no, you know what? That guy is significantly better than when they in the 14th round. That's when right. They drafted him. That's a great and that's find. Credit, you you got to give credit. You know, those are the things that stand out. Like, because that's not you took a guy 1-1 or you took a guy 1-3. Yeah, that's not $13 million on two amateurs in Josh Bell and Garrett Cole. Absolutely. That's a guy from a Division two school, uh, Mobile, University of Mobile. Uh, which is not a noted prospect hotbed. I, I really like that. I, I like that development story, and I like Kyle McPherson as a prospect. To me, the second half of the top ten is not as good. Although Robbie Grossman, you could do worse for a number eight prospect than a switch hitting. Might be a tweener. Might be Rusty Greer part two. Right. He does I, walk Robbie a lot. Grossman is the kind of guy who you doubt him, 
Yeah. Some of those guys you turn around and at least have a couple of years where you go, that was pretty good. I think it'll be a solid regular right. if it all like, pans out. Like if it all pans out. And the thing that they're going to have for them yeah. is, well, he's a tweener. We know this much. If he stays with the Pirates, he'll be playing a corner. Yeah, he'll be a right <laughs> fielder for the Pirates because left field's big there, and they're going to probably have speedier guys. Well, and I guess they could they got move McCutcheon, McCutcheon and, and right they got field. Marte. To me, it would make more sense when Marte gets there that you have Marte, who apparently is just a super stud in center field. Marte in center, and McCutcheon, to me, should go to left because that's the bigger park in their home field, so you play And the then what field. you end up having is, is okay, Grossman, Grossman probably right. arrives right at the time that Jose Tabata becomes too expensive to be worth having, if you if you even think he's going to be around probably, that long. That was probably this year. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. that, you know. But I'm that's, not sure what happened to Jose Tabata, but he's an unusual dude, uh, no matter what his but the problem is. But the, the problem for Grossman is, is that he better hurry up, though, because Josh Bell is coming up behind him. That's the problem. He's a placeholder, I think, for Josh Bell. I like Jeff Locke as a fourth, fifth starter type. Stetson Alley I'm afraid of based on his mugshot. He looks like he's going to kill somebody in that mugshot. I mean, I'm, I, I kid. He just looks like he's fixing – he looks like he's spoiling for a fight. That's what I should say in that mugshot. Which is the worst mugshot, Stetson Alley or Dan Vogelbach? Dan Vogelbach from the standpoint of uh, – I agree. Um, when the scouting report says we want him down to 240. Yeah. That's just – and you know what? Dan Vogelbach could do it. The guy can really hit. His track record of hitting is pretty outstanding, but, yeah, that's the worst. The thing, the thing that I'll say this, here's where I, where I think the Pirates have come to. Let's be honest. Rewind this several years. Luis Arady is number one on their list. Yeah, well, or, yeah, or Marte. Like the but, double-A No, I'm saying, outfielder. but Luis Heredia, though, is the guy who feels like that a couple of years ago. That was the guy who would be the Pirates' number one. Is the guy who's Their the – eternal number one, you mean? No, no I'm saying that we, we would oh, end okay. up ranking. Like, the farm system is such that – the guy who Luis Heredia is a great number five. Yeah, he is. He's a good. Really, uh, yeah. He's a bad number one because what I'm saying yeah, oh, though no is, is that it's that it's that guy who is so far away that yes, if everything comes together, he is a front end ace. But you know what? He's also thrown 30 innings in the GCL. I forgot, by the way, that Jose Tabata's contract is a six year deal. He signed through 2016. Man. That's a lot of love for Jose Tabata. And now we uh, we round out with the Cardinals. But you're, which... but you're right on Heredia. Heredia is a in a good spot. It's a sign of an impro- of an improving farm system. An improving farm system would be the Cardinals. It's a nice position to be in, JJ, when you've just won your World Series championship, I like and this your farm system is really coming forward. They, this is probably the best top ten in the division. Yeah, I would. I, I think it is. Pirates. If you want to say that the Pirates' top five is better than the Cardinals' top five, it's a good argument. I pro- I may take the Cardinals, but it's a good argument. You can argue it either way. I don't think, though, when you say Tyrell Jenkins number six. Yeah, that's that's a Tyrell Jenkins six. number six and Luis Heredia number five. I take Tyrell Jenkins. There, there's you know, Tyrell Jenkins sounds pretty exciting. Not nothing against Luis Heredia. Tyrell Jenkins sounds pretty exciting. He he sounds like an electric physical athlete who could be a front-of-the-rotation guy. They have three front-of-the-rotation arms in their top six in Shelby Miller, Carlos Martinez, and Tyrell Jenkins. And, and you've got a couple of guys who already couple, helped your big league team and, they, and Lance Lynn and Eduardo Sanchez. And they've got a couple guys in that top six. Look, I'm not a giant Zach Cox fan, but I'll admit, they have two guys there who, if everything broke right, either one of them could challenge for a batting title. Yeah, that's, that, that's possible. 
I mean, I, Colton I, Wong, especially. I think that's especially uh, true. Oh, I'm Colton not going Wong. Colton Wong. And Oscar Taveras. Yeah, I was going to say, I'll give you Zach Cox credit. I think Colton Wong will do it more than Zach Cox. I think Zach Cox could could be a 25 home run guy. I think that's where he, I think he's like a. Yeah, he could be. But, it all comes together. I, but, he's like a 270, you say 25 that, though, home run But the guy. thing about it is, is, I don't think Zach Cox, though. Zach Cox, he had that swing, and he's tried to go to a new swing. Yeah, you know, to me, I think that Zach Cox, when it's all said and done, Goes he has back to hit his... ab- no, I think he has hit ability, but he doesn't run. And to me, when it's all said and done, he's going to wind up being a corner power bat, not a pure hit guy. I just don't think. I, I think when it's I think he has hitting ability and hand eye and all that kind of stuff. I think when it's all said and done, the power is going to be the, the carrying tool for and him. I'll but say I think the this. hit tool will be the carrying t- tool uh, for him. I will say Cole this. Wong. It's a much, much, much lower chance of it happening. Their number nine prospect, though, if everything came together, could win a batting title, too. Oh, Matt Adams win a batting title? I, it's not going to happen. Let's just make clear. But it's funny, when I was doing a story on Oscar Tavares. Early, we like Oscar Tavares. I like Oscar Tavares a lot. And But when I was doing a story on him, talking to uh, you know uh, his manager there, uh, Giant Rodriguez, mm-hmm. and he made the point, he said, it's a great hit tool. I mean, it's an, it's he he can barrel the, put the barrel on the ball. The only guy in the organization I think is you know who fits there with them is, is, is Patch Adams. And it's like interesting. It's like wow. First it's like, of all, he he goes by the nickname Patch. I mean, that was a horrible movie. How'd that happen? I don't know, but but and Matt Adams is a limited player. Again, we're talking minuscule chance. Yeah, no, I got but you. The, but the thing that he has is he has the ability to hit. Yeah, was he had a surprising fall league? Because he really, for a guy who, I know he doesn't control the strike zone great, but he had a really horrible strikeout to walk in the fall league. I mean, it, it is what it is. I, I like the Division Two Pennsylvania guys. There are a few of those kicking around. Uh, obviously, a good year for that with uh, Ryan Vogel's song with the uh, Giants. And again, that, don't get don't get too excited. I'm not when I say that. Don't get He's too a good excited. Number nine, but that is the number nine. Number nine who hit 300, 357, 566 at AA. It was his age season. Uh, at Double A, and he killed it. I mean, he killed it, and he and that's after skipping level as well. So, that's legit power. There's a legit bat. Um, no, I, I just I, I he do fits th- the David Freeze, Alan Craig model also for that organization. Uh, I just think that if you look at it, and especially that's the thing that's summed up again, all of this. Good there's player. drafting, but there's also player development, and the Cardinals right now can say, "Hey, we seem to have an idea what we're doing in player development." I think they do, and I'm, uh, you know, I'm a big Brent Strom fan. He's their pitching coordinator. He did a nice job with the Expos before he came to the uh, Cardinals, and uh, right now he's got some real power arms to work with. And uh, Carlos Martinez, Tyrell Jenkins, Shelby Miller all made a lot of uh, a lot of progress in 2011. So to me, JJ, the Cardinals are the top farm system in the National League Central. I, I would, they're, they're world champs, and I would agree with you on that. I'd probably say Pirates too, just because of the top end guys. I think I would also agree with that. Um, um, I would probably say Reds three because again, I, there's five guys in that who could be playing the big leagues this year. I, I agree. I, Cincinnati to me is closer to two than they are to four. I think Cincinnati could be two. Uh, they're very different. If you were the Pirates, maybe long term you'd rather have your farm system. But if they could trade, how many of those guys with the Reds would be in the Pirates opening day lineup in 2012? A lot of them. Now here's the question: We're just ranking top tens right now. Well, top thirties it may change. Well, what if we rank 31 to 50? That's yeah, bad but, but how Cubs. Goes. Versus the uh, Astros. Astros are better. Yeah, I agree. They're better. They're I better agree. Top ten. It's a better top ten. I don't know about the top thirty, but I know the top ten. I would agree with him um, on that. And I think the Cubs are ahead of the Brewers. Yes, I would. I would agree with that. We're in agreement. 
That's good. We didn't start off that way in the podcast, but we're finishing that way on this long podcast to take you through your uh, Thanksgiving drive. Hope the kids enjoyed listening to us uh, in the back seat in the car on the drive to Grandma's house. For J.J. Cooper, I'm John Manuel. We'll see you on the next Baseball America podcast. Until then, so long, everybody. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.